I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's 9.07. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. I mean, I'm not alone. I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't do super well in the snow. But okay, here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown. Three. I do want you to know the traffic cameras we're looking at right now, uh, the roads do look a lot better than they did at 5 o'clock this morning. But we're going to dive into a legislative report card, legislative session up on Utah's Capitol Hill, wrapping up on Friday evening, Friday night actually. Uh, we're going to also take a deep dive into how it'll impact your water use this summer at your home. Because we're, we're learning of these turf buyback programs that was approved and also... More water metering for secondary water users coming to a neighborhood near you. I wonder how much wind got taken out of the conservation scale sales uh, because we've had so much snow in the mountains. I wonder if a lot of people have just kind of thought, oh, oh, we're back to normal. And I, I wonder if where we're going to be at, if we're going to still be conserve, conserve, conserve until we see that Great Salt Lake filled back up. Countdown to circling back to uh, Snowcrest. I mean Suncrest up on the hill on Draper today. Um, we had residents on the program uh, not too long ago when they got that last blast of snow up there, and they were snowed in. Um, would you believe this? I walked into the bathroom to take a shower, and I had this huge puddle on the floor. And I look up, and there's literally snow coming out of my bathroom fan. That's listener Ashley. She's calling in again in the 10 o'clock hour. Guess what happened again today? That very thing. It's no. snowing in her bathroom again. Okay, so we want to talk about snow on the roof. Do you know how... De- at what oh, point it gets much. dangerous? Oh, like, yeah. How much extra weight can your roof handle and support? Because uh, I'll tell you this: I remember my dad taking me up on the roof. Stop it! This is so unsafe. This is a terrible idea. Papa Noriega, stop <laughs> it! But we were shoveling snow off our roof when you were a kiddo. Yep, when uh. I was a kid, back in the early '90s. But I, I look at the snow on the roof right now. Of many mm-hmm. people around Utah, they're probably asking in themselves the same question like do i haul my snowblower up there no No. that's a terrible idea launch countdown one producer just told us that national weather service is hanging on the line right now uh, waiting to join us live about utah's uh, forecast what we can expect for the evening commute and i think this thing is going to be hanging around for several days also an update on what in the world is going on in california residents being rescued by the sheriff's office and they're actually snowshoeing in and out to get supplies people are trapped in their homes and have been for now more than five days because the streets are not plowed and we need help people are trapped in their homes they cannot get medicine heart medicine insulin if you think things are crazy here you've seen nothing we we've had a dusting of snow compared to what we're seeing in the sierra nevadas 
Dave and Dujanovic. The launch. Commence. Brewing Utah weather. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Right where you're sitting on southbound I-15 right now, um, we're going to talk about two things uh, in this next few minutes. First of all, we're going to talk about what we can expect for Utah's weather and this weather pattern that we seem to be sucked into for the last several months. And then I saw this tweet from KSL meteorologist Matt Johnson over the weekend. In the last week, the Sierra Nevada's got 12 feet of snow. There are people still stranded. Uh, ABC News has this from one of those who's, who got stuck. We have snow plows, but it's just too thick and it's too hard. And they're just not equipped for this kind of ice. It's just too much. David Church joins us right now, meteorologist with the National Weather Service. Uh, David, I, I do want to ask you about Utah, but th- what's going on with the, in the Sierra Nevadas? Yeah, hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, so, yeah, California is definitely seeing a banner winter out there, just as we are. Um, but, yeah, the snowpack out there, I mean, they're over 200, 250% of normal, so more than two times more than two times what they're used to seeing at this point in the year, and even a normal good year. So, yeah, quite a lot of snow. And uh, the interesting thing with the forecast we've been looking at here this morning is uh, it doesn't really show signs of it's shutting off. I think we're, we're going to still continue to see more snow coming, uh, even for California and, and all the way into Utah uh, in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and it's a mess there. Residents can't get out, and they're told if they do get out, it'll probably be up to two weeks if they want to get back into their home. So they're, they're kind of stuck. Um, let's talk about Utah. What are we expecting here for the afternoon commute and then tomorrow morning's commute? Yeah, so our snow from last night is uh, fizzling out across the area. It looks like we'll see a little bit of snow kind of move through again later tonight, early tomorrow morning, but much lighter than what we had uh, last night across the area. So impacts of the commute should be much more uh, manageable going through tomorrow morning. And then uh, we don't really see another, well, you know, not until uh Wednesday, no, sorry, yeah, Wednesday night going into Thursday, we get our next uh, storm system coming through that gives us a little more chance for some accumulating valley snow that could bring some more impacts to the commute. What were some of the largest snow totals we saw up in the mountains? Yeah, so we had a pretty active weekend. So the night before, we saw up to 22 inches up in Alta and the upper Cottonwood Canyons. And then uh, last night, they got another 15 inches on top of that. So it was very active over the weekend and into early this morning. Uh, with those two storm systems that came through. And then in the valley, we saw anywhere from about two to six inches or so across the Salt Lake Valley. So pretty respectable snow for us down here as well. David, you said um, California and that, that area, the Sierra Nevada, is 250% of normal, I think that's what you said? Yeah, and that's yeah. over a, a basin area. So that's over kind of a large area that feeds the rivers. But uh, any particular sites out there, if you look at where they're at compared to their records, uh, many of them are you know ranked number one, two, or three uh, in their all-time records. So uh, it's just a banner year all around. David Church, thank you for joining us. Meteorologist with the National Weather Service. Yeah, I was reading articles about what is going on in California. They're snowshoeing in and out to get more gasoline. For One woman said, told the Associated Press, five miles she snowshoed in and out to get more gasoline for her generator. Uh, they're starting to run out of supplies. And the sheriff's office now considering doing airdrops of meals ready to eat, like the kind you get in the military, you know, yeah. that they hand out. Because people are running out of food. I, I think in the, what, at the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to take a deep dive with Be Ready Utah. Because I really do want to ask them, what would I need? Like five things that I would need to survive a week 
hold up in my home. Diet Coke, Diet Coke. <laughs> uh, one of the most shocking pieces of video that I've seen are the feet and feet of snow packed on top of roofs right roofs right, right now. You showed me uh, a picture this morning. It's mind-blowing. There's some in Utah. Utah yeah. has got several the cabins especially up in the in the higher elevations just have feet of snow on top of the roofs uh, at what point do you need to address that and, and try to get some of that weight off your roof we'll dive into that next brewing utah weather special coverage on ksl news radio we're seeing it happen here like with the what they've got going on in the Sierra Nevadas, where the snow plows just cannot keep up. Tesla. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're all oh, running. No. Get out of the way. Oh, it's going to bring it down. Oh, my God. Oh, no. You guys got to come out. Oh, oh, here comes a Tesla down the hill. We should probably pull. Oh, my God. Hi. Debbie, you could just see these cars slipping and sliding down the roads and just creating this, this chain reaction. Car hitting car hitting car. It has been an absolute disaster because, again, the snow plows, the snow is coming down so quickly they can't keep up. We just spoke with the National Weather Service saying the Sierra Nevadas are 250% of normal for snowfall this year. It's incredible. And we know we are getting a lot of snow here, not as much as they're getting there. And you saw some photographs that just made our eyes pop out. We were like, oh, my goodness, what would happen if we had that much snow on our roofs? And in some areas, it is happening. If you think of some of the cabins up in the mountains, that's exactly what is happening. It's creating and collecting so much uh, snow, uh, people are, are having some fun with it. With snow all the way up to the second floor here in the Sierra, why not just jump off a balcony? Three, two, one. <laughs> People are making videos of themselves jumping off uh, their roofs, off their balconies, into the snow banks because there is so much snow. But it can also be dangerous. Uh, let's do some math. Because I, I wasn't quite sure how to do the measurements. You look at your roof to know how much snow is safe to be on the roof. You have to start worrying about getting some of it removed. So here's a general rule of thumb that we found. Um, Snow weighs a pound per square foot. Yeah. So you do some quick math on your 1,500 square foot roof. For every inch of snow, just add another 1,500 pounds to the roof. So if you get, say, six inches of snow, that's almost 10,000 pounds of snow, additional weight on your roof. Is now, that what the smart car weighs? Nine thousand pounds. Okay, is, is that that's pretty close? I, mean, I don't even think it's that much. <laughs> All right, I mean, but that's like putting a car, <laughs> yeah, on your roof. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. That's that's kind of a terrible oh, way to think me. about it. I remember back in the nineties, we, we had one uh-huh. of these snowstorms where it was just piling up, and I and I get home from school, and my dad is up on the roof. He's like. Throw on your snow pants. Come up. We're shoveling it off the roof. I I said, Dad, there's no way this is safe. This is a terrible idea. And he's like, get up here. <laughs> so I did. I'm not endorsing this. this it, it seemed not. like a terrible idea back then. It, yeah, people but, fall. And but when hurt. you have that much snow, mm-hmm. uh, it's a real concern. So we went searching for answers. Like, what, what should you know? Yeah. Um, we actually... 
reached out to a local fire department. They said, well, you probably need to contact like an engineer. Yeah. That's not our wheelhouse, right, to tell you how much what your struct- the structure of your roof can support. So, um, you know, we went scrambling this morning and we actually found some really good information online. Um, we went to YouTube and a Concord Carpenter with what, 250 million subscribers? Or thousand, oh, yeah. Sorry, oh, I, I put thousand. a quarter million. That would be a lot of subscribers. If you're concerned that you have too much snow on your roof and yet you're worried about collapse or damage, call a structural engineer, huh. call a building department official or the fire department to evaluate your roof. Yeah, we called the fire department. They said, don't call us. <laughs> call, call the engineers, call the roof experts. And that's where we got a lot of this information is from roof online and some of these these websites that that address this directly all right so here's one of the dangerous signs if you hear popping cracking (laughs) creaking sounds from your roof if you see your roof rafters bowing leave your house immediately evacuate your house and call the fire department have somebody professional evaluate your roof and get out again i'm not sure the fire department wants to hear that but we don't know what to do right you start (laughs) hearing some of this uh how much damage has this snow caused to the roof um, yeah, you really have to reach out and kind of find, do a little research. And, and I wish I could tell you that there was somebody that does this, right? But we don't get that much like snow. A roof this patroller, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. we and we normally see these when the issues when the carports at apartment complexes yeah. start to collapse. And we had some of those early in the season, and we had some cars smushed, and thankfully nobody was hurt. But carports are a little more flimsy. If you will, than a than a roof structure would be, but don't have as a, a steep a pitch, so it doesn't run off quite as easily. Remind me what you used with Dad Papa Noriega when you guys got on the roof. Honest to goodness, our regular snow shovels. Mm. But there's a better way. Yeah, and I've looked up the price, but but let's get with our roof expert first. The safest way to clear snow off your roof is from the ground, and you do it with a snow rake. Snow rakes come with telescoping poles or, or interlocking poles. And they're somewhere around 8 or 10 foot a piece. So you can have almost a 20, 25 foot range with a snow rake. And you can buy extension poles for them. Long handles, you reach from the ground and you remove the snow. On a steep roof, you would start at the edge and you would just keep working your way up along the, into the roof and pulling the snow off the roof. It's easy. It's easy to do. It's, it, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's, it's strenuous and it takes a lot of work and you'll be sweating when you're done. But it's, it's not hard and you don't have to leave the ground. Watch out for icicles and chunks coming back at you because as you're pulling, you can get hit in the face with things. So a snow rake is the best, safest way for you to get snow off your roof. First I've ever heard of him. The snow rake? Yeah, I've never heard of a snow rake. They're they're difficult because oftentimes, even though they they have a, a telescoping feature, you know, where you can just kind of extend it out, our roofs are too high. And we just can't find the right angle. Maybe we could, you know, grab a little bit from the edge. It's just very difficult to reach up there and and get to the top of your roof. It, quite frankly, this works as long as you're on a on a single floor, a rambler. That's a possibility. But if you have a multi-story home, there's no way you can reach it with a roof rake. So the True Temper telescoping snow rake is fifty nine ninety nine at your local Cal Ranch store. Um, Amazon has the Deluxe Avalanche Snow Roof Rake. It looks like it's the super-duper model for $220. 
Um, let me see. Forty-eight dollars is the extreme max on Amazon. So there's a big, there's a really big wide price range. Do you have any of those, Dave? No, no. We we just don't get that much snow anymore. There's only been a handful of times where I had so much snow on my roof. But I I live kind of near I-15, so I'm not up on the benches. We don't get nearly the amount of snow that a lot of the folks in the mountains or on the benches get. Brewing Utah weather. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Dave and I going in depth this morning on this winter snowstorm. We talked to the National Weather Service. It looks like we're in for it for the next couple of days uh, during the evening and the morning commutes. Checking our text line at 57500. One of our listeners says the weight of snow varies significantly based on the water content. Um, powdery snow or yeah. light snow versus heavy moisture content. That's a great point. Well, let, let me give you an example. For example, uh, if you're talking about fresh fallen snow, that weighs about maybe three quarters of a pound, the fresh fallen snow. As soon as it sits there for a day and it starts settling and it starts warming up and it refreezes, it can get up to two, three, and almost four pounds per square foot. So if you have a lot of slush and frozen uh, ice on your roof, yeah, it, it can be extremely heavy. One of our listeners in Pleasant View texting us at 57500 saying currently there's about five feet of snow and ice on their roof. Five feet? That's what they said. Five Maybe feet that's of 60 snow. inches? Five feet of snow on the roof in Pleasant View. A listener from Wyoming saying they've cleared snow out of their place in Wyoming three times this year. Um, And uh, so I guess you're going to have to go back up there. Or or if you're there, you're going to have to start shoveling again. Um, Go ahead, Dave. Let let me just say, I I had to do some quick calculations. If you have five feet of snow on your roof, that's 60 inches, right? Just let's make it a rule of thumb, a pound per square. That's 90,000 pounds. On top of your roof, just sitting there. Here's what's coming up straight ahead. Um, we are going to go uh, take a deep dive into the officer-involved incident in Farmington that happened last week in the post office parking lot. There's been some new information that's come out over the weekend. We're going to take a look at that and what police say the body cam video shows of what happened inside that car. And don't tune away at all. Don't turn away from our snow coverage. We're going to continue our snow coverage well until noon today. Uh, KSL meteorologist Kevin Eubank ready to join the show in uh, the next little while. Also, we're going to talk to homeowners up in Suncrest, which is above the hill, uh, right above I-15 and Draper there, who got snowed in. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we're going to ask him how. Dave Indigenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. Uh, there's new information that came out late on Friday and over the weekend. It gives us more insight on what happened in the post office parking lot in Farmington last week. It began in the afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, when a police officer pulled over a blue sedan. And ended in the shooting death of the 25-year-old driver. And police are releasing information about what they say is shown on the body cameras of the police officers who responded. Yeah, we've reported that there were five officers who eventually came to assist the one officer that made the stop. Well, we first thought the car didn't have a license plate, but this new information 
indicates that there was a license plate, but it was an illegitimate license plate. Yeah, we plate. both have a copy of the um, what five, six paragraph press release that the Farmington Police Department put out late last week. And it does say that it had an illegitimate license plate. And I don't know exactly what that illegitimate license plate looked like, um, but that's what they're saying. So, so the police are saying in this press release that they reviewed the body camera footage. And I just want to make it clear, we have not reviewed that body camera footage as an organization. We do have requests in to see it so we can independently verify what's in this news release. Uh, They say that the body cams showed the driver rolled the window of the car down just a few inches, uh, then refused to provide identification or to cooperate, and they're saying this is shown on the body camera video. And then he asserts his independence from the laws of the land and his belief that he was not required to provide information to the officer, nor is he required to cooperate. That is such a strange and, quite honestly, a a terrible argument. I, I can't wrap my mind around how would you come to that conclusion? Let's bring in Greg Scordis, KSL legal analyst. Um, you often hear him right here on KSL News Radio on KSL at night from seven to nine. Uh, Greg, it's good to have you with us again. We've discussed this matter with you last week, um, and we've gotten some new information, including that the police department claims that this driver claimed to be independent from the laws of the of the land. Um. Not something we normally normally hear about or talk about in Utah. Yeah, it's something, however, uh, Debbie, that we see a little bit more and more. And it's this notion of the sovereign citizen or the person who uh, finds or believes that he's not subject to the laws of, of the land and doesn't have to comply with those. It kind of goes into what you talked about earlier, that he had an illegitimate license plate. He may have felt that he's not required um, to license his car appropriately. He may feel that he's not required to have a Utah valid Utah driver's license. And then if you if you look at this press release and, and what apparently is in the body cam, he may have also felt that he's not required to respond to a request by police officers and, and in fact seemingly didn't respond to their requests or at least did something that caused them to, to draw their weapons and to ultimately shoot and kill him. So if somebody identifies as a sovereign citizen, how does the law handle that? Well, they still have to comply. And when the law enforcement stops somebody and he says, for example, as may have happened here, I'm not going to get out of the car. I'm not going to respond. Uh, law enforcement is entitled to take reasonable measures to get him out of the car. That that includes some use of force. In other words, they can open the door. They can grab him. They can pull him out of the car. They can do those type of things. And apparently, from what we're reading here, that's what they attempted to do. He, he refused to comply. He refused to get out of the car. He refused to allegedly uh, provide information to them about his, his driver's license and whatnot. And so they took the, made the decision to, to, to take him out of the car by force. And that's when everything went uh, really quite badly. Right. Let me just let me just continue on that path and that thought, Greg. According to police, and again, if you're just tuning in, we're 
bringing you up to speed on what we know about the officer-involved incident, the shooting that happened in the post office parking lot in Farmington midweek last week in the afternoon where a 25-year-old driver lost his life in a shooting. So continuing on, um, it says another officer attempted to remove the driver and then an observing officer, and I'm quoting from the police department's press release, yelled, gun, gun, gun. A struggle happened. Gunshots are heard. Um, and that an empty holster was seen on the driver's right hip and a handgun could be seen lying on the driver's side floorboard. Now, not having seen that video ourselves to independently verify what police are releasing, we don't know when that handgun that they say was on the floorboard ended up on the floorboard. Was it there before he drove into that parking lot? We don't know other than what police are saying in this press release, and they don't indicate that in the press release either. Or did it, right. or did it happen during this, this moment when the officer reached in the car? Yeah, I think what's critical for me, Debbie, just in reviewing that, and, 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 and you and I look at it the same way, is that the gun wasn't still in his holster. So he had a holster on his belt or on his pants somehow, but the gun wasn't there. Had the gun still been there, we would probably be having a little bit different conversation. But the gun's out, and the officers shouting, gun, 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 that's a typical law enforcement uh, cry for, hey, this person has a weapon, so everyone's on alert, everyone's drawing their weapons, and who knows what he was doing with it or whether he was pointing it or sort of using it in a menacing way. But for whatever reason, the officers, the other officers involved decided that they needed to draw their weapons and fire their weapons, and in fact they did, based on what they perceived to be a threat to them. Greg, we ran a story on KSL News Radio that said the police body cams were turned off shortly after the officer-involved shooting in Farmington. Is that standard to turn off the body cameras after an incident? It's really not, Dave. And that's the one piece of this that's still sort of missing. The, the gun part, I think we've had some answers, and Debbie explained those pretty well. But the, the body cam, we don't know why the, the chief... Uh, at, apparently, at some point says, turn off your body cams, because uh, Farmington uh, city protocol and state protocol is a little bit different and really doesn't allow for the sort of immediate turn off of the body cams, especially while there's a fairly active scene. So we don't know why that occurred. I think there's going to be some explanation for that coming down the road, but it's not protocol. and It's not something we typically see, and it's not even um, consistent with what we have seen with the state and the local laws regarding the use of body cams. Greg, thank you so much for jumping on the line. Uh, we don't know yet uh, when Farmington, or excuse me, when the county attorney will get the case to review it. We do know that the Bountiful Police Department has been put in charge of conducting the investigation separate from the Farmington Police Department. And again, I want to remind our listeners, we have a request in to get copies of that body cam, all those body camera videos ourselves, so our reporters and producers can sift through those body cams 
and see if what we're reporting from the press release the Farmington Police Department has issued matches what we're seeing on those videotapes. We'll let you know as soon as we get them. And that was very clear in the Farmington Police statement. They said Farmington Police do not interview the involved Farmington Police officers. That's turned over to the Davis County Critical Incident Protocol Team. Uh, They also said video footage is only one part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our understanding of the incident may change, and we don't draw any final conclusions. A story we're going to continue to keep a close eye on, continue tracking with our team of reporters and producers in the newsroom. Uh, Straight ahead, uh, this congressman has managed to get himself in a deeper hole, which I didn't think was possible, but it's possible. Um, Congressman George Santos begins his work week officially under investigation by the House. Dave Dujanovic, special coverage of the top national story. There's a reason why we're making this our top national story today, Dave. Do you know why? Because you are obsessed with this guy. 100% spot on. And he's managed to get himself, I I believe, in a deeper hole uh, with his campaign finance issues that have been popping up. We're talking about Congressman George Santos out of New York. Remember how he got himself elected? Yep. Right? Right? He told people a, a whole... Why way to the top? <laughs> told him about a whole bunch of stuff. What did you say? Pin- two Pinocchios? Three Pinocchios? Uh, four Pinocchios. <laughs> like four Pinocchios. <laughs> we'll review his lies because Dave and I have them memorized in just a moment. Uh, but there's more. There's more and there, there's deeper issues now for him that could get him in some real trouble. So he's beginning his work week officially under investigation by the House Ethics Committee. Which means I began my Monday morning with a big old smile on my face. Quite honestly, it's hard to keep track of all the lies. <laughs> we have tried our darndest to keep track of all the lies. What about making a spreadsheet? It, we we don't have enough pages. Like there are, this would take up. This is like the Anna Karenina of lies. Like this is a thousand pages. <laughs> Of lies. The headline that had me rolling last night just before I fell asleep comes to us courtesy Rolling Stone magazine. And sometimes they come up with some doozy stories, but this is it's in the liar liar section. <laughs> Didn't know there was a liar liar section oh, in Rolling Stone. There's a liar tab now. Um, here's what their headline is House Ethics Committee investigating George Santos for just about everything. <laughs> Um, all right, so there's some good news in this if you are on Team Deb, and there's also some bad news. Um, so here's what they can investigate him for, or they're going to investigate him for. They've outlined it. And and by the way, this is five Democrats and five Republicans on this committee that all are all in on it. So it's half and half. You know what I mean? It's half and half. Um, okay, here's what they're going to look at him for. Engaging in unlawful activity with respect to his 2022 congressional campaign. So that's just like this big blanket, right? Um, Failed to properly disclose required information on statements filed with the House. Violated federal conflict of interest laws in connection with his role in a firm providing fiduciary services. Um, And then I don't know where this is going to crop up in this, but it sounds like that second one is failed to properly disclose required information on statements. Maybe it's, that's kind of like a blanket um, 
kind of investigative like they're just they're, they can they can swoop anything up in that. But there's this latest allegation that a treasurer listed on the Federal Election Commission statements that that were filed by his campaign never actually worked for Santos. So the guy that was <laughs> supposed to be over the money, like never heard of this guy, Perfect. never worked for him, provided a statement to a national news organization saying did not did not work for him. And then he's also uh, Santos is also accused of changing up where he got like a significant amount of money from like he's he's unticking boxes on his forms, according to national news reports. Of you know between one hundred and twenty five thousand and half a million dollars is like no nobody's quite sure where that money came from. So those are the those are the issues at hand for the House Ethics investigation. Now why this guy hasn't resigned yet? That's a whole other question. Oh, it, it makes total sense. You you go down with the ship. You've done all the lies. You've done all the work. Mm. You got elected. You're getting paid okay. nearly two hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. You ride this until they throw you in jail or at least out of Congress. But the key here is the lies have been prevalent, nonstop lies. Everything that comes out of this guy's mouth just seems to be a lie. But what they're looking at is the unlawful activity. So they're looking for things that are criminal Mm -hmm. because there's no shortage of non-criminal stuff. That he's been lying about. Now, it wasn't too long ago. It was just during the State of the Union address um, back in D.C. when the president was getting ready to walk into chambers that our very own Senator Mitt Romney made me smile because he walked down the aisle and he spots Representative Santos with practically a front row seat. And he lets him have it. And then afterwards... Remember how I thought, well, that hour and a half long speech where we're all like, that's a snore. By the end, we're all, you know, not Romney was. The State of the Union. Okay. <laughs> there was super bored at the State of the Union. <laughs> well, I mean, after a while, I mean. You can only stay focused for so right? long. I mean, I, when the I'm president is yeah. smattering across yeah. America with everything he's going to do, including like removing fees from. Speaking from of the Northeastern cricket. Diving into concert tickets, you know what I mean. I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm all ears now. No, Senator Romney, you. I thought he'd use that time to calm down. You know, after that initial confrontation, oh, he gets out in the hall, and the press corps is like, Voop, they're right around him, and he is just going off on George Santos. Backwards, I said he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't be in the. In the it, look, he's a sick puppy. Uh, he, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be there. Why do you, why do you want to say that? I mean, he he, he goes on. He goes on to tell the media, like, look. I mean, you know, um, a little a little fib or whatever is like you you got an A, but you really got an A minus. I mean, but in Santos's case, he's saying you went to colleges he never even attended. Yeah, I went to NYU. Oh. <laughs> You didn't even attend college. Interesting. So sadly for for me, and I'm not going to speak for Senator Mitt Romney, but I'm hoping he's kind of sad about this part too. Those allegations that are going to be looked at by the House Ethics Committee don't include some of the claims like when Santos got his mom's date of death wrong and said she died during 9-11. But really she died in like 2016 or something. Yeah, he missed it by 15 years. 
I mean, it's one thing. You're like, I can't remember if she if she passed in, you know, September. It was 9-11. Or August. Nobody forgot 9-11. Or in a different decade. And I don't think it's going to include those claims that he, you'd say it best, that he said he was Jewish. No, 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 no. Deb, he didn't say he was Jewish. Well, I guess he did say he was Jewish. What he meant to say is that he's Jew-ish. They probably won't look at that. They probably also will not look at what another media organization has uncovered. And as you said, it's hard to keep track of all of them. That he falsely claimed he was a producer on Broadway. I wouldn't put it past him. And also, I'm I'm not positive about this, but I'm fairly certain he walked on the moon. (laughs) And visited Mars. Of course, you know who we're talking about. We're talking about Representative... George Santos, he's done it all. Uh, he's Martian-ish. <laughs> he is John Glenn-ish. Also been reported that he's a star volleyball. He was a, a star volleyball player in college. Well, in, in fact, he played. Uh, I I don't want to say he's he's better than Tom Brady, but he 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 replaced Tom Brady when Tom Brady retired. That obviously happened as well. I have to get this in, in the next thirty seconds, Forbes is also reporting that he'd be looked at for an allegation of sexual misconduct involving a 30-year-old former volunteer aide. Oh, for the love. Who claimed he was groped by him in his congressional office and then rescinded a permanent job offer shortly after this 30-year-old rebuffed him. Uh, But Santos is calling the allegation comical, just so you know. Much like his entire life. Ethics Committee. We're going to tell you. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Looking ahead to our 11 o'clock hour, we're going to take a deeper dive into the discussion we just wrapped up about Congressman uh, George Santos, the New York congressman who's been caught in a web of lies. The House Ethics Committee will begin this week uh, investigating the congressman. And uh, there's a number of things they won't be investigating him for, which Maybe they consider it the low-hanging fruit, but these are the ones that we've talked about at length, which is, you know, his college resume. Like, he said he went to a college uh, that he didn't go to. He told voters he was Jewish. Uh, he's not. Um, I mean, there's a whole list of them. They won't be looking at them, him for anything that was said pre-swearing in. Okay. Anything that was done Post swearing in and taking over his seat, uh, particular things having to do with potential election crimes, um, campaign filings, uh, claiming, for example, he has a treasurer working for him and the treasurer denies having worked for him. Those types of things will be looked at. But pre swearing in, you know, he bamboozled voters. Well, they're not going to take a look at that. Yeah, can't account for huge amounts of money. I want to know what power the ethics committee really has. It's just recommendations, and then that's. I we're going to dive into that a little bit later. Oh, like but can I they think, unseat him? Yeah, yeah. Be, because again, what's what's tricky about this? There's not really an easy impeachment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, you you're going to require. I almost I want to say. Two thirds of Congress has to agree to unseat yeah. 
Um, it, it's very difficult. It's complicated. Yeah. It doesn't, it, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, can't just walk up to him and say, you're fired. Yeah. You're fired. They, you know, they, that doesn't work like that. They, no. they can kick him off uh, and not give them committee assignments. There are certain things you can do to kind of mitigate what kind of power they have in Congress. But to actually remove someone that's been duly elected is is difficult. Looking forward to that conversation at 11.05. Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage on Utah's Morning News. The 2023 legislative session came to an end uh, Friday late in the evening. Um, and we're going to bring Lindsay Ayers, KSL's political reporter, into the conversation about the legislations that she flagged she feels will most, most impact us. Uh, as residents of Utah, maybe in our own homes, uh, she's waiting on the line. Uh, just a quick summary, 1,377 new bills were requested. 926 were filed. I don't know how many of them passed, but I'm sure Lynn's has all that information. And really, numbers are numbing. What we want to get to is... What are the pieces of legislation that pass that the governor will sign that will impact us at the kitchen table? There's a few things I want to dive in, and I, I don't have this information right now, but Debbie, the budget is $29 billion. Mm-hmm. I want to know what it was five years ago, oh, interesting. 10 years ago, yeah. and see how much the state's budget has grown over the years. Oh, could we do that tomorrow? Yes. You ready? I just thought about it top of my Great. head. Write that down. We're going to remember to do that tomorrow. Lindsay, good morning. Thank you so much. We know you had a very long week last week. And you wrapped up the legislative session reporting live from Capitol Hill. What are the th- what are give us like three things you think we should care most about out of the 2023 legislative session? Well, I do want to say there are, uh, yeah, a lot, about 560-ish bills. That's not an exact number, but that's how many passed this session, which is nearly a record, if not a record. So, (laughs) excuse me, that is a lot of legislation, and every single bill impacts somebody in Utah in one way or another. So um, it's kind of hard to narrow it down because every one of these bills feels important, but there are some bigger rocks that were done this legislative session that I kind of wanted to focus on. The first one of those is uh, money going towards water and the Great Salt Lake. Legislative leaders and and the legislature was touting how much this year would focus on water. And then there were some criticisms throughout the session that not enough water bills, they even dubbed one week water week, but not a lot of bills dealing with water passed. Now, that's not entirely fair because, uh, to be honest, there's a lot of ancillary like conservation bills and stuff like that that did pass that just maybe perhaps we didn't get to uh, because we were dealing with some of these other bigger rocks. But um, specifically what you saw from the legislature this year when it came to the Great Salt Lake is money going towards it. $500 million towards uh, water this year that will do things like agricultural optimization. So allowing farmers to update their technologies so they can better conserve water. We know how much water agriculture uses compared to the rest of the population, but that doesn't mean the issues are all they're solving, right? But the legislature is putting money towards uh, those uh, optimizing agriculture so they can conserve water. But at the same time, there are conservation bills that are going to impact us every day. Um, but but one of the ones I want to talk about that actually didn't pass came late in the session, and this is a bill that would have uh, prohibited for people in the Great Salt Lake Basin 
um, watering before April 25th and after October 1st. And initially this bill was set up to uh, take that conserved water and flow it into the Great Salt Lake, but the water district seemed to have concerns over that, so that was pulled from the bill. And then ultimately this bill didn't pass either. So there are some criticisms out there that not a lot of these bills focused on getting water to flow into the Great Salt yeah. Lake, which uh, the legislature has said, well, because of what Mother Nature did this year, we had some emergency water ready to go into the Great Salt Lake, but we chose to hold that back because of what Mother Nature has done this year for a year when perhaps we need it more. So that was kind of their defense of that. But um, nonetheless, what we did with water in terms of money and getting water to it is significant and it is going to have an impact. It may just feel longer term than more immediate. Yeah, it was that shepherding they, they talked about earlier is we're going to shepherd the water from the mountains down to the Great Salt Lake. But it, it does sound to me that it was mostly uh, allocating money versus really somebody tracking the water from point A to point B. Yeah, that that is kind of more the broader sense. Um, but at the same time, you're going to have bills dealing with um, – uh, restricting. Uh, I saw one for like turf buybacks and stuff. We're going to talk yes, about yes. that in the at ten thirty five. We're going to talk about this legislation regarding turf buybacks and uh, and other types of things that will impact people who own homes. I, I want to get to the food tax issue um, that came up late in the session. Linz, uh, what was the final word on that? Is that going yes. to be repealed in twenty twenty five? If the education earmark is removed uh, with a constitutional amendment to the amendment? Well, so it's not removing the income tax earmark. It's just amending it. So this is what is still being negotiated. However, there is final language that we passed on Friday. So the legislature has um, approved a proposed constitutional amendment. This will go on the ballot in 2024, and voters get to decide whether or not we free up some of the money from income tax to go to other state needs besides education. And the language in this constitutional amendment, I think, is important because what it does is create a statutory framework for how we fund education, meaning we fund it every year in a bill every year. It's required to go in the base budget. And then we meet the needs of people with disabilities and children. And then with anything left over, if the state needs it, they are allowed to use it for other state needs. So that's, in essence, what the constitutional amendment will say in 2024. But yes, if voters approve that in 2024, then the food sales tax will come off in 2025, but it's this contingency piece that still has some people rubbed the wrong way where the food tax is only going to come off if right. voters approve that earmark. Lindsay Ertz, thank you for joining us. That's called dangling, back, dangling it like a carrot. Well, for a while, we've been nibbling at the edges because the, the state constitution has said every penny of of state income tax is supposed to go to uh, education. Well, over the last couple of years, they they have nibbled around the edges and said, "Okay, well, let's include this. Mm-hmm. Let's include that." And and they're starting to include so many things that they're just slowly eating away at what fundamentally was was decided, you know, several decades ago. Okay, straight ahead, we're going to circle back to our Snowden, I mean, 
what are they called snow crest it's actually sun crest it's in draper not right now oh yeah there is no uh, snow okay we talked to ashley sun. a couple of weeks ago i walked into the bathroom to take a shower and i had this huge puddle on the floor and i look up and there's literally snow coming out of my bathroom fan out of her bathroom fan. Well, guess what? I think it's happening again today. We're going to check in with Ashley to see how things are going in her neck of the woods. And also, Be Ready Utah standing by to tell us the five things we need to do to be ready if we get snowed in, like what's going on in KSL. Brewing Utah weather. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Well, if you, you woke up like I did at 2 o'clock this morning. Uh, you were surprised. I wasn't expecting to get as much snow as we got. Um, and it's not just happening here. We reported in the 9 o'clock hour about all of the snow the National Weather Service says is 250% of normal in some parts of California which is making it impossible for some homeowners to leave. People are trapped in their homes and have been for now more than five days because the streets are not plowed. And we need help. People are trapped in their homes. They cannot get medicine, heart medicine, insulin. You just don't know what you're going to wake up to. We had snow yesterday on on Sunday. By the end of the day, it had melted off because it was warm enough in, in Kaysville. This morning, I was shocked to see inches that had fallen overnight. I didn't even realize. I th- I thought it was going to be a little dusting, but yeah, it, it was significant. It'll be like this on and off until Wednesday afternoon, maybe early Thursday. Ashley Harmer, she's a resident who lives in Draper and specifically in Suncrest, which is that development. If you look to the east of I-15, there's a big old hill up there. Maybe it's a mountain. Uh, Ashley, the last time we spoke to you about a week and a half ago, it was snowing through the ceiling fan in your bathroom. How are things today? Well, I'm sorry to report that I had more snow in in my bathroom this morning. And I was the same way. I woke up not realizing that we were going to get so much snow. And I was just totally shocked to see more snow in my bathroom, more snow on the streets. Just crazy. Every house has a trouble spot. It's usually the basement, not your ceiling fan. (laughs) Well, it is my basement ceiling fan. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, the last time we talked to you, you said you were looking outside your window. There was so much snow. You weren't sure that you could get out of the area. And we talked to the city of Draper, which said that they had talked to the fire department and they'd actually had some incidents where they'd had trouble getting to some people who needed help. How are things today? Are they better now? If, you, if Are you still stuck in your community? No, today was much better. They, they did end up bringing like front loader big trucks through my street and dug out all of the snow. So we were able to get out of the house. And this morning it was about, I don't know, 8 to 12 inches. And the, snow, the streets in my neighborhood weren't plowed, but they were, um, it was easier to get through. So I was able to dig myself out of my driveway and get my kids to school. So, mm-hmm. so much better today. Well, sorry to hear that it is snowing in your house still. Uh, Ashley, <laughs> yeah. best of luck. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. You probably want to stay tuned for our next conversation with uh, Jeff Johnson of Be Ready Utah. And between what is going on in Suncrest, Jeff, and what we're hearing is happening to some residents in the Sierra Nevadas, um, San Bernardino County in California, where they are just snowed in and prepping for more snow to the point where I think I heard the sheriff's office is going to be potentially airdropping MREs, like military meals that are ready to eat. We've decided to be a great time to have you on join us on the air and give us maybe between three and five things that we can buy today or tomorrow to prepare us for that just-in-case really bad snowstorm and like what they actually have going on in Suncrest. Yeah. Good morning, Dave and Debbie. Happy snow day. Yep. Again. You know, Again. The first thing... Good morning. First thing you, you need to do is always keep a positive attitude through this. Yeah. Uh, Maya Angelou said what one time, every storm runs out of rain, and that's true with snow as well. So this is a temporary thing, but sure. the things you ought to consider is food and water storage are, are, are always a good thing to make sure. And having personal extra supplies of things like toilet paper and really critically is medication. Not a good time if your snow didn't run out of medication. Jeff, you need to have a plan if, if the power goes out for both heat and for health devices like oxygen generators and CPAP machines and also for light. And only open your fridge or freezer if it's absolutely necessary if the, mm. path, uh, if the power is out. Be really careful because your house might get cold. Um, if you're using gas heaters indoor, you need to have ventilation. And if you can get outside on that same note, make sure your furnace and water heater vents are clear of obstructions. Those can also cause a carbon monoxide issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, we you might have your kids home. So conduct fun and productive activities to keep the children distracted, entertained, and warm. And I think it's important that we check on our, our family and our neighbors, especially like the invalids who li- might live near us or the the widows. That's that's important. Right. And finally, just call 911 if you have a medical emergency and, and begin to dig yourself out if you have the capability and be careful. Do it in stages because if you're snowed in, um, do that in stages because we lose a lot of people every winter shoveling snow to heart attacks and overexertion. So good things to think about. Yeah, that, that snow can get extremely uh, heavy. It's dense. Well, let me go back to the food and water. Uh, I, I think a lot of us think, okay, obviously I've got my, my food storage we can tap into. Water is interesting because um, I, I guess – I've thought in the past, well, if, if, if you have all the snow around you, then I guess worst case scenario, I could always melt the snow. But if you've <laughs> ever melted snow, uh, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, melting snow is slow and kind of arduous, and it's not easy to do. And uh, it takes some time, and you're not going to get a, a large capacity of water out of grabbing snow and trying to put it in pots and pans and melt it. Um, it's good to store water. Um, we, we recommend at a minimum uh, one gallon per person per day for 30 days. And honestly, that's just survival stuff. If you want to brush your teeth and have some sanitation and hygiene, you're going to need to store about two gallons per person. It's... So melting snow is not quick, nor do you get a lot out of that. So if if you – if I – were to ask you, what's one thing you would love to see me stop by the store today and buy on my way home, Jeff? What would that one thing be? Diet Coke. I said Jeff, <laughs> not Dave. Oh, oh, sorry. All right, to the expert there. Hey, Give me one hey, thing. Hey, you know, 
Diet Coke might be your drug of choice. So <laughs> that is a good thing to do. But um, I, I think the most important thing here that really causes the most problems in situations like this is medication, Debbie. Yeah. Um, if you run out of medication that's critical to your existence and survival, um, I would make sure you talk to your pharmacist and you always have at least a 30-day supply of that on hand. Doctors are really accommodating on, on helping people who, uh, because we live in, in a disaster-filled world and you might not be able to get it because it might not be coming in, um, having your medications on hand is point. probably the grit- most critical yeah. thing I can tell you. I think that would be the first thing that might threaten yeah. your your life or, or your health. Certainly. Jeff, we appreciate that. That's a great tip. Jeff Johnson, Be Ready Utah, thanks for jumping on the line with us. Uh, we saw what was going on in California today. We talked to the National Weather Service there on day five or six of being snowed in where they can't even leave. And if they do leave, there's a risk that they can't get back home for up to 10 days, according to authorities. So people are trying to figure out how to get down the hill from their homes to get medications. And that's something I got to put that on the to-do list. If you have, if you need a medication to survive, it's like a, uh, blood pressure medication, you want to make sure your blood pressure stays, you know, even and, and other medications, insulin, you, you got to call your doctor and get a stash for, well, for just in case. And, and you may need to talk to your insurance company because oftentimes yes. they won't refill it or they won't pay or they won't cover it. So you'd, you'd have to get that probably pre-authorized. You'd have to explain yeah. what you are doing to make sure that you're you're not getting hit with the entirety of the, the medication. Thanks to Ashley, homeowner who lives up in Suncrest, for calling the show again to tell us, yes, once again, it is snowing in our bathroom. And to Jeff Johnson of Be Ready Utah for giving us some tips on what we need to do to be ready just in case. Straight ahead, we are going to dive into uh, a couple of things that lawmakers did, Dave, regarding water conservation in your home. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this turf buyback program. I'm going to see if I can get you to rip out some of your lawn. What do you need? A sod cutter and some muscle. And I'm going to tell you how much you get per square foot. If you- Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage on Utah's Morning News. Uh, we're going to dive into three, maybe four. I mean, it might be five things by the time we're done with this discussion that Utah lawmakers did during the 2023 session that just wrapped up. That will impact your water use at home. Well, I think part of what is happening is we have to learn, okay, what does our future look like? Mm. Because we've had a couple of very, very dry years. It was lots of restrictions. Um, You could only water once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. We were very, very focused on it. Well, with this year and Mm. having... 150, 200% of normal. All of a sudden, we don't we don't need that this year. When we talked to the Weber mm. uh, district, they said, "No, we don't we don't expect any watering restrictions this year." But that still doesn't change the question, what should we be doing consistently moving forward? Well, this is about what Utah lawmakers did that they're going to make you do. <laughs> Cuz now it's a law or will be a law once the governor signs it. Uh, and this was promised to be the year of the water drop. I mean, I don't know what else. 
right? They held news conferences on Capitol Hill. Uh, they talked about conversation, uh, conservation walking up to the 2023 session. So I thought it'd be important to take a dive into what got done. We're just going to touch on some of these today, and we're going to take a deeper dive tomorrow. You're, remind me, is your water metered? No. Your secondary water that you sprinkle your lawn with, you have no idea how much you use or how much you conserve. Nope. There's nothing attached to the side of your house that spins like a dial and, wow. and that, No idea. And you've lived there for 17 years? Yeah, but in the neighborhood where we have used secondary water mm-hmm. for over 40 I grew up in oh. the same neighborhood. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mom's just a stone's throw, right? Yeah. So you know. Good nine iron. <laughs> hey, look at You me. probably a driver, but me, nine iron. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely a driver. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, $15 million is going to be put toward metering of secondary water. And they say when they put those in, hopefully they'll put one in your house. I would love to see... If this if this works, because they too. say it would conserve twenty three percent, it will shave your your consumption by twenty three percent, something like that. Yeah, I would love we it. should know. We should know how much we're using. It's it truly is not fair. I I get that. I understand it. It's not fair that we can use basically as much. We pay a flat fee, and we can use as much water. They want us to follow the recommendations, but. There's nobody standing out there, you know, with a, a with sticker. a wrench to turn it off in case we go over. Doesn't it feel very 1970s, right? I mean, it's just the like the honor system. Yeah, like no, just open up the irrigation oh. line and like irrigate the neighborhood, and then if you need a little extra, you just go down and open up the irrigation line, and nobody nobody comes knocking at your door to tell you to, to stop. That is going to change. It's just taking a minute or decades to get there 15 million dollars so someone comes knocking on your door you know why legislatures approved more money for this secondary water metering well you you said that's very 1970s that's when our house was built it was built in 1976 or at least my mom's house was built in 1976 Hmm. Uh, the population of utah was 1.2 million it's 3.2 million it's nearly tripled in the 40 years that we've lived there Hmm. so yeah that what worked in 1976 doesn't necessarily work mm-hmm. anymore. Got more people. Got more people, more homes, and more lawns, which brings me to the turf buyback program. We're talking about what the Utah legislature did on Capitol Hill that will help you make some decisions about your lawn for this summer. They've allocated millions more. It looks like $3 million dollars. That doesn't mean anything to me because I want to know exactly how much Dave Noriega is going to get when I show up with the sod cutter I'm going to go rent at Home Depot and start ripping out his backyard. Uh, you just put a backyard in. I, it's been in the time frame that we've done the show together. You, I remember you were late, like laboring in your backyard for an entire summer or two. Yeah, yeah we re-landscaped, and, and I very much wanted to do turf. Uh, not, not grass, but some artificial turf oh, in the backyard yeah. around the um, uh, the trampolines. I thought it would be a ton of fun. It was so expensive. Well, yeah, like I remember you four that. or five yeah. times more expensive than grass. I couldn't make the financial decision because it was just it was outrageously charts. expensive, comparatively speaking, compared to mm-hmm. grass. So we installed the 
the new um, sprinkler system, and we just put in grass. So even just a quick question before you get the give you the price tag on what you could get back for your sod, um, even with the sprinkler system, I'm sure you'd have to put in a some sort of a, a drip system if you had just plants around and of course trees. Right. But even with the sprinkler system, and the price of the, of the sod itself, that was still less expensive than putting in artificial turf. Way wow, less expensive. Wee. Yeah. Wow. I remember you were kind of in your head, you were rolling around with this decision in your head. You'd ask me and you're like, hey, how is it growing up in Arizona? And I'm like, this is kind of a new thing since I I moved away. But a lot of homes now have artificial turf there. So do you want to know how much you get? Yeah. A buck to two bucks a square foot. Okay. But that's actually more than I would have thought. exactly what you're going to have to pay me for removing it. So you come out... At zero, but I make two dollars per square foot because that hard part is the labor, my friend. Yeah, you've done it. I know. Yeah, no, I've, I've done it too. And they're done that. I know. And you're like, let the stuff dry out, but so it's, it's not watered down and it's not extra heavy, and you still need like the incredible Hulk to be on the sod removal team. But getting rid of a thousand square feet, you could see if you could get a thousand to two thousand yeah. bucks. One, one to two thousand dollars. That would certainly. Help a ton. Will you raise your hand to get your house metered, probably for your front lawn, and then will you also raise your hand for this turf buyback program? Because I want to see if it's like one of those deals where you need 75 receipts and you need to show all of this work, and then maybe you get half of what you thought you were going to get back. Because sometimes that's how these these rebate programs work, right? When you get everything filled out, you realize, oh, it wasn't as big of a, of a windfall as I was hoping for. And why $1 to $2? Like who, when does it qualify yeah, for like, 2 Do you have to live on a certain street to get the 2 bucks? Yeah. Do we know? I'm looking at Caitlin. Do we know who qualifies? Will like Noriega qualify for 2 bucks, or will he qualify for the $1 buyback program? We're, we're going to find that out. We're going to call your city. Maybe we'll get your mayor on the line. Okay, here's the one I think people are going to be cheering. It restricts um, homeowners associations. And I heard a lot of feedback from people, um, you know, who reached out to me over Facebook last year. And we hear it from people who text us on our text line. This legislation will block HOAs from requiring green lawns in the drought. This is tough. Uh, because part of being in an HOA is you're asking somebody to, quote-unquote, police the neighborhood, to make sure that it stays up to standard, that it, the property values stay up because the grass is green, it's weeded. Um, I, I remember there my, I've, told, I've told you this before. My, my brother had a neighbor that basically threw road base in his front yard. It was... <laughs> It was brutal. It was so ugly. You're like, okay, this is where the HOA's got to come in. And, but you and, didn't have HOA, right? Well, for for whatever reason, the HOA didn't crack down. But I see. It, part of it, it when you when oh, the HOA okay. requires green lawns, that does help with the the property values, uh-huh. and you can see why you'd want to protect that. Great conversation. We're going to continue this conversation tomorrow uh, when we continue to look into the um, issues that the legislative session address, the lawmakers address this legislative session when it comes to water, because this is a, this was on the top of residents' agenda 
when the legislature convened. Very concerned about the drought, very concerned about restrictions, very concerned about the Great Salt Lake. We're going to continue the conversation tomorrow on the David Dujanovic Show. And straight ahead, I just got word that KSL meteorologist Kevin Eubank is calling the show. We're going to ask him about how it's looking up there and then their hills after the latest snowfall that we got and when the storm is circling back to whack us again. We're going to get to a developing story in Grantsville when we got word over the weekend uh, that six kittens were found dead and also tortured uh, uh, somewhere on the, like, the side of the road. And we're going to get information from the Grantsville Police Department in just a moment. The, the torture aspect of this is horrifying. Because we obviously know you think of you know, torturing animals that that can take somebody down a very dark path, a scary path. Sergeant Jeff Watson of the Grantsville Police Department. This is just a just sickening, sickening case. Uh, where were these these little kittens found? Are you with us? Mountain Road. Oh, sorry. Say that again. We just your, your audio kind of cut out, Sergeant. Yeah, they were found on a dirt road, which is named Little Mountain Road, which goes off of uh, Highway 138 up into the mountains near a gravel quarry. So, I mean, this is kind of uncomfortable, but how how do we know that they were tortured and not just left on the side uh, of the road to die? Yeah, well, without going into specifics, because it is quite, like I said, it's quite disturbing. Uh, There were obvious injuries that were beyond just normal injuries. uh, it was obvious that these were uh, intentionally inflicted injuries to the animals, uh, not like they were just run over by a car or something on an accident. Uh, you could tell that these were man-made injuries and, the, the, and that uh, other ahead. items were used. Sergeant, and the punishment uh, for the person or persons who did this, is, is it is it quite serious if they're caught? Uh, it can be. Uh, we would always like to see punishments for animal cruelty and animal torture enhanced a little bit, I think. Uh, just because of the graphic nature and the way that it disturbs the conscience of everybody who hears it. Uh, so it, it, it can be. Uh, we're hoping that it could rise to the level of a felony. Any tips so far, Sergeant? Uh, that I'm aware of. We haven't received any tips other than the initial caller who found them and reported them to us. I know there have been some uh, social media posts where they have uh, they have posted to social media asking anybody with any information to contact us. Uh, but as of this time, I don't think we've received any calls yet. All right. So if somebody has information, should they give the Grantsville Police Department uh, a phone call? Yeah, call us. Call us or call dispatch at 435-882-5600, and they can route you to the right person. We will get that information posted to kslnewsradio.com. Grantsville Police Department Sergeant Jeff Watson, thank you so much. I saw it on your Facebook page over the weekend where there were six uh, kittens that were found deceased. Um, on this area called Little Mountain Road near the Rock Quarry, and they, the police department, say, saying now that those kittens have been had been tortured before their deaths. Yeah, and that's that's really so disturbing. Number one, just abandoning animals mm. is terrible, but the fact that somebody purposely killed and tortured these these animals is heartbreaking. Brewing Utah weather. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Yeah, Dave brings up a great point. Kevin Eubank, uh, KSL meteorologist on the line. I mean, it is the middle of winter right now still, and it has been so cold out. Here. Just a, My heart just breaks, and it broke when I saw that post from the Grantsville City Police Department 
Um, are we? Are, how is it looking in terms of uh, the, the the rest of the day across the Wasatch Front into the morning commute, Kev? Very cold temperatures continue, guys. We've been really well below normal uh, all the way back into February. So we're still looking at highs in the 30s with lows in the 20s. That's kind of the pattern all week long, and we keep it stormy. Uh, we had this last storm that came through that brought several inches to the valleys. The weekend totals up in the mountains were just incredible. I mean, two, two to three feet of snow up in the cottonwoods. Um, between the Saturday storm and the Sunday storm, uh, and uh, combined with this morning. And we're going to get more. So it looks like another round tomorrow, not as big, about an inch in the valley, and then another round on Wednesday, another type of an inch, uh, about an inch uh, of snow for the valley again. So they're not big storms, but it doesn't take a lot, as we all know, to mess up a morning commute. And I think most people were really, really excited about the snow early in the season, but uh as I meet people now, they're not as happy about the snow, guys. I know that uh, might come as a surprise to you, but uh, they uh, I think a lot of them are kind of done. Yeah, I think the word, we are fed up with this. We are fed up with the commute. <laughs> We're fed up with the snow shoveling. Hey, can you can you help me understand a little bit what is going on in the Sierra Nevadas? We, we've just seen massive uh, storms and, and pileups and is this the same storm? Do we get some of that that same storm creeping up uh, over into Utah, or are these different storms? No, they're the same storm. So we generally have a flow that goes from west to east. So what's hitting the Sierras generally gets to Utah in one way or uh, another. What's interesting about this and what's kind of unique, we get these huge low pressures out in the ocean in the Pacific, and they're they're generating strength, and they really just kind of hold there. And they send wave after wave after wave inland, where typically a storm system will come, move through, and move out. Well, these last couple have been storm. The storms have been there, but the the main low or the main core of that storm sits out in the ocean, and we just get little pieces. So the reason why the Sierras get it so big is because there's nothing in between the ocean and the Sierras, right? <laughs> so the minute that piece comes in, it just clobbers them and. I mean, they've got mountain communities where folks have been trapped for days and they can't get out. And there's only, you know, narrow roads getting into them in the first place. And when you add six feet of snow, you can't get out of there. You can't plow six feet of snow. You have to blow six feet of snow. So they've really, really taken it hard this winter. And uh, some of our mountain communities, while not as heavy as like Tahoe and some of the other Sierra locations, they're equally as, as snow riddled. I mean, they, they've got some real complex problems trying to, to move and and uh, clear snow. Yeah, we talked to the mayor of Brighton, which is at the base or right there at Brighton Ski Resort. The last time we had that major winter blast, Kevin, and he was actually, I think, on a plow or in a tractor doing, getting out and doing some of the work to clear the area up there. I, I'm sure I haven't been to Brighton Ski Resort since last season. I'm sure they're seeing uh, a lot of snow there as well, like we're seeing in California. Maybe, like you said, not as bad, but... So I'm just like, look at, I'm just, I'm just a Debbie Downer here. When are we going to start to see spring temperatures? I'm hoping for spring temperatures, but I, I'm also worried about the warm up happening just too quickly for all the snow we have. And then, well, we, then we got so, flooding and you said, we'll worry about flooding when it happens. I'm still worried. Debbie, don't be a Debbie Downer. Come on. Take, <laughs> take Dave's attitude. Dave doesn't care about tomorrow. At all, ever. <laughs> This is so, so true. true. We are, this is why we work so well together. Because I said, I'm a nervous Nelly, a Debbie Downer, and Dave's over there like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's all go to Disneyland. It's no big deal. 
Listen, both of you represent all of us. That's, that's the combination is both of you represent. The truth is, Debbie, it's generally the, the, the forecast for March is colder and wetter than normal in the sense of meteorological models. So generally, we would be having temperatures up in the 50s and we're not there. And it looks like we could go a couple weeks before we get there. So really, when you start talking spring, it's not until April, May. March is part of winter. But really, April, May. Um, and the other thing is, right, we have daylight saving time that's coming up this weekend. We're going to get a little bit more light. It's going to change things. I promise your attitude is going to be so much Aww. better a week from now. <laughs> oh, Kevin, that's so kind of you. And I just checked my the temperature, and it is 32 degrees outside right now. <laughs> So it well, is. It's it's freezing. It's freezing. It is freezing, literally. Officially, yeah. No, I appreciate. It. I don't know if the groundhog has ever been more right. Right. I hey, mean, well, why do you got to bring in that? Why do you got to bring in that Pennsylvanian rat? Why does? It, why do you always do that with me? You know that it's just a gimmick, right? Like the meteorologist. Whoa, that whoa, thing's whoa, just eroded. I, I I love pressing the button. I love the sensitivity yeah. to it. Ugh. No. Groundhog Phil, Kevin Eubank, basically, uh, the, you know, the same track record. Oh, Kevin, we're so <laughs> brutal. No, no, not true. Uh, I, I'm slandering Kevin, you, Kevin. You I know. will work on payback. It will take some time, but we'll figure something I've out. Got, that's appropriate. Oh, I, I'm right here. I got your back, Kevin Eubank, KSL <laughs> oh. meteorologist. Thank you so much for taking a deep dive on what's to come for the many weeks. Many weeks. Dave and Dujanovic. Special coverage of the top national story. Oh, George. George is in deeper trouble. Talking about Congressman George Santos from New York, who won over New York voters. His amazing resume. Like things that, you know, he did along just a storied career. Like he worked for Goldman Sachs. Uh, that he attended NYU. Uh, now we're learning that he was also a volleyball player, potentially at another college, uh, which all turned out to be a uh, big fat lie. Big fat lie. He has real a- estate mo- mogul, right? Liar. <laughs> um, so we're going to get with Leah Murray of KSL at night. Um, because we want to break down what this new investigation that was just opened up. Uh, the House Ethics Committee opened up an investigation, what it will mean for him. Uh, and, and ironically, in an ironic twist, none of what we just talked about is what he'll be investigated for. But we'll tell you what he's going to be investigated for in just a moment. When I hear the House Ethics Committee is going to look into it, it I'll be honest. I don't know what the House Ethics Committee does or what kind of power they have. On its face, it sounds a little bit eh, paper tiger. How much power do they really have? To kick him off, kick him out of Congress. Right. We'll ask Leah that in a moment. What we do know is what they will investigate him for. Um, in unlawful, potentially uh, checking to see if he engaged in unlawful activity regarding his 2022 congressional campaign. I don't know why I keep saying 2022 congressional campaign. The dude has run one time. So his last congressional campaign, whether he failed to properly disclose required information that he filed with the House, whether he violated federal conflict of interest laws regarding his you know, money services, fiduciary 
um, responsibilities. The latest allegation surfaced in yet another article that a treasurer that was listed on his Federal Election Commission statements says, you know, I never, I never worked for the guy, never worked for the man. You got to have a money person. And he said that the money person was this individual. And they're like, no, I've never worked for you. So all those allegations about claims of being Jew-ish, um, when he got his mom's death wrong, that she didn't really die on 9-11 as he had claimed on Twitter that she actually died, how did you say, 15 years later? You yeah. know, not something most of us usually screw up, right? Especially when you're trying to, you're trying to use the most catastrophic terrorist attack on American soil as as how you know a the political reason, win right? <laughs> political win that is a real estate mogul like you said he's also now apparently falsely claimed he was a producer on Broadway these are so wild you have to a wonder. renaissance man <laughs> he can do everything those those things that I just listed off though anything that was pre swearing in is not is not fair game for the House Ethics Committee. Where they come in is anything post-swearing in. And we got plenty of stuff there, Leah. We got plenty of stuff there, too. Leah Murray is a KSL night host and director of the Walker Institute of Politics at Weber State University. You with us? I am totally with you, and I've been giggling. Because as it turns out, it's not really illegal to lie, right, Dave? So you can say all these ridiculous things, and I, you know... And if we're dumb enough to vote for liars, then (laughs) is this our just desserts? A little bit, right? I mean, I got to tell you, I question, uh, yeah, a lot of the voters in New York for their choice on Mr. George Santos. Yeah. So what? So to Dave's question, Leah, what could possibly come of this House ethics investigation? And personally, I feel like I'm asking this on behalf of not only myself and Dave, but also Senator Mitt Romney, who got in George Santos's face at the State of the Union address and and basically told him off um, about having that near front row seat. So for the th- on behalf of the three of us, what could possibly happen? <laughs> yeah, so the answer is not a lot. To your point, uh, what did you say earlier? Paper tiger, right? Yeah. So they are not known for aggressively pursuing, you know what I mean? Like they're not known um, for, you know, they're not, how do I say, like prosecutors. Does that make sense? Right. right. They're not really got that power. And secondly, House members usually are really reluctant um, to, I don't know, go after their sitting colleagues. Does that make sense? So it's kind of the flaw in any human resource design system, right? Where the people who you work with are the ones who are evaluating you. I mean, I think, in this one, it's different. It doesn't have any, like, blush of being partisan, right? It's Republicans who are calling for this. Um, so maybe they would be able to get leadership to ask him to leave. Does that make sense? So that would be the route. Like you say, we found that he's guilty of these violations. When I'm reading the story, it's about um, financial, um, you know, finance, uh, campaign finance right. violations. And also there's a sexual... Yes. Uh, misconduct violation, right? Yeah. So those things. So if they find him, you know, they're not going to find him guilty because they're not a jury or anything like that. But if they can say to the leadership, he's clearly in violation, then the leadership could remove him from the chamber. How does it have to be unanimous? Is it 50 percent of the the votes? Is it three, three quarter? Would, do you know what the threshold is? 
I don't know that there is. So there's no like constitutional threshold if that's what you're asking. Yeah. So I think it's just a majority, right? So Kevin McCarthy gets all the Republicans to agree with him. And in this case, I think Democrats would too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like then you can ask him to leave. But I will tell you this, like in history, um, we've had House members be removed um, and then challenged. And the Supreme Court says you can't remove them because voters get to choose them, right? So what you need is, for at some point, George Santos to decide to quit, if that makes sense, right? So, uh, yeah. Well, he he clearly has no shame. I mean, this is and that's right. When well, you're, he did yeah. ju- on his defense. He did tweet out that he's fully cooperating with the House Ethics Investigation. I wanted to throw that sure in you are. Time. Thanks, Deb. You, you changed my entire <laughs> outlook on this dude. You're, he's a, he's great. No, as long as he's working with them. No, I I don't know. I I worry though. If you start kicking out all the liars in Congress, <laughs> like, let's be honest, that's a slippery slope. Hello, hello, yeah. hello. It's real echoey. Yeah, in no, and that's, yeah, and that's the point, right? So the reason why they don't have a lot of teeth is the worry of how you could, right, like weaponize, do you know what I mean, ethics yep. violations politically, right? Yep. So you're Republicans and you're going to bounce Democrats. And you're Democrats and you're going to balance Republicans when you've got power. Right. So the idea is you want it to be paper and then you kind of want the shame to work. Right. So you want George Santos to be so embarrassed by Senator Romney, who I think rightfully, you know, folded him. um, And then he should have quit at that point. So, yeah. If you guys are going to pay me two hundred thousand dollars to do a job, you're going to have to drag me out kicking and screaming you spoofed before your way i into? yeah you spoofed if i your way into he knew he was lying all along <laughs> well, you think a little pressure from people he doesn't care about that he doesn't respect i just don't think there's any chance this guy resigns with with any sense of honor well thanks leah appreciate it leah murray uh, ksl at night host and also uh head of the walker director of the walker institute of politics at weber state university so for 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 you and me you're on team romney and dujanovic now you're up we're on our team now with noriega <laughs> romney and dujanovic i was always the there okay. yeah no this this guy's well maybe there will be a federal nexus here too like in terms of a, a, a criminal matter that uh, will be looked into, and then and then we don't know what happens from there, right? But the guy serves a two-year term. It feels like we're literally four years into his two-year term. Yeah, this is the long uh, three months. So and guess far. what? This is probably close to all I read about. David Duchenne. Before we get on to our next conversation about what's called the Sherry Black Bill, which has to do with you, know, you like take a, a genealogy swab of, of your of your mouth, Dave, and you send it off to one of these websites. Lawmakers did something regarding putting some guardrails up on searches of those databases when it comes to for law enforcement. We're going to take a dive into that in just a moment. But before we do, our favorite Leah Murray, who just hung up the phone with us, who is KSL at night host. Uh, really quickly fact-checked herself and sent us a text. Yeah, just wanted to clarify that it will take two-thirds of the House of Representatives to vote out George Santos, who's the lion cheater, allegedly. Uh, He's the representative out of New New York. He got voted in. He turned a, a Democratic seat to a Republican seat. 
but he did it by lying every step of the way, it seems. But it would take two-thirds of the House of Representatives uh, to actually say, yeah, we want this guy out. It seems like there is bipartisan support that everybody hates this guy, though. Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with David Dijanovic. And with that, let's talk about uh, what lawmakers on Capitol Hill did to put down some rules, it sounds like, for police when they go to search these genetic testing databases. Um, I don't know what they did. I honestly I saw this pop up at the la- on the last week of the legislative session, and I got really curious about it because I, I, know, I know two things. I know a lot of people do these swabs just to see yep. if they can tell where their family history and how far back and who they're related to back to, you know, 800 BC and stuff like that, right? I mean, it's kind of a it's a big deal. I've done it, research with my mom at the genealogy library downtown here in Salt Lake City. We've done this for years for our family, um, but I also know that these swabs are su- not only super popular; they may also be very popular with um, with police when it comes to searching for criminals. Well, especially here in Utah, we we have a. A history. We have a love affair yeah. with genealogy. In fact, my my mother in law just texted the group chat this this weekend. You're not going to believe this, Deb. This is how far back it goes. We are direct descendants, and by we, I mean my wife is a direct descendant of Pocahontas. Oh, we just learned that. Like that is that is some incredible knowledge. So here in Utah, we have always tracked our ancestry. Right. When you add the DNA level to it, um, the component, we uh, not surprising, we have embraced it. We get excited about it. Mm-hmm. We want to know what the DNA tells us about our ancestors. And I looked up on Amazon because I thought about taking one of these, and they're not that expensive. Uh, probably save people who are doing genealogy research a lot of time. So I remember when I was doing it years ago with my mom when we were driving through Utah. We were there for hours and hours and hours and hours, and I, I felt like we were running out of time. Um, so this would expedite things. So these are not that expensive, kind of fast-tracking how to how to research a genealogy. But I want to learn more about these guardrails that law enforcement will have to follow. Yeah, and I think this is something that we are celebrating because we've seen some big victories where police officers have used DNA uh, this this tracking to find murderers. Hence it, Sherry Black that, in South Salt Lake. Yeah, right? that, that, that's a story that really hits home. But the BTK killer over in California found through the DNA testing as well. This is fascinating. But again, what are the appropriate guardrails? Representative Steve Eliason on the line with us. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us what these guardrails are going to be for law enforcement if we submit our DNA uh, to one of these databases. Yeah. So one of the important things that the bill we passed the session did was make it very clear that if law enforcement is going to use investigative genetic genealogy data, they have to be using uh, only databases that have made the uh, consumer aware that that uh, data could be used for that purpose and requires the individual to affirmatively consent that they would allow their DNA information to be, you know, searchable by law enforcement. 
so some of the big names you hear, like uh, you know Ancestry and Twenty Three and Me, they they don't even give uh, their customers the option, I think, to consent for this. There's there's other databases where people can consent to that. So it makes it really clear that law enforcement can only use a database that it's clear is is open to law enforcement, and only if the individual has consented for their DNA to be searched in these types of uh, exercise investigations. One of the things that makes this difficult is I could say no. Like, say I did the testing, but I don't want law enforcement to be able to use my DNA. But if my brother says yes, then it's it's easy, right? I mean, the, the connection is still very easy. Even though I say yes or I say no and he says yes, and and you can really branch that out quite a ways. Uh, that's true. The 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 you know one of the main databases that is is open to law enforcement search is is pretty comprehensive, and it wouldn't just have to be your brother. There could be you know a, a more distant relative that could um, create a flag. But one of the important things to note is that. You know, up until this bill passed, there were no guardrails in place in state law. It was kind of a free-for-all. So the, the bill that I was the House sponsor of put those guardrails in place and would require law enforcement to follow a number of steps before they were to access this, and then they would have to get permission from uh, certain state agencies before they were to pursue it. And then even after they had, uh, you know, think, thought that they had made that connection, get another sample from the suspect, confirm that that, you know, is accurate. Well, um, I, I guess is- my concern, though, would be it, since this law is, you know, in place, uh, say, for example, police use kind of this roundabout, um, you know, using a family member, whether it's a brother or a father or a, a distant cousin, to, to convict somebody. Um, who has said explicitly that they do not want to be a part of this, does that build some protection for the accused? Yes. So, so right right now, meaning before this bill you know, passed, which you know, won't become law until it's signed by the governor and the effective date, there are zero guardrails. So this, this puts uh, privacy guarantees in place for people who don't, don't want to consent to allow their DNA to be searchable. And, and specifies it has to be a, a very obvious opt-in for people who who want that, which isn't the case now. So this, but could a judge throw out this? Could the the judge throw out that line of uh, investigation because the person opted out? Is what I'm trying to say. I don't want the BTK killer to get away because he checked a box somewhere. Um, well, the, the important thing to note is that in the case of the, B, the Golden State Killer, um, if, if their DNA is already in the system, it's called CODIS, they don't even have to go to these links. These, th- this technology is only used for cold cases, very difficult to solve, uh, cases missing persons, you know, unidentified remains. And so and if the person's data, DNA was already in a database, they would need to do this. And so... Um, that's why we put these guardrails in place. So the courts, the prosecutors, law enforcement know exactly how this data can and can't be utilized. And this law goes into effect this summer, Representative? Yes. Yes. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for jumping on the line and walking us through um, how this will impact our listeners who use these databases. And so if you see this prompt pop up on the on the database that you're using to submit your DNA, just so you can see, you know, if there's a fast track, figure out who you're related to, like your wife found out she's got a, she's a direct line to Pocahontas, um, you can you can opt out. Uh, you can p- pick the opt out button and then law enforcement won't have access to your DNA. It sounds like right now they do have access in some cases. Yeah, I think they still have to uh, use court orders to find that information, right? Or do they just have – do we all – I don't think we all have instant access to everyone's DNA, obviously. Uh, I just – I'm a little bit concerned hmm. uh, that we're we're tying the hands – of the investigators, of the police officers that are trying to... letting people opt out. Yeah. Mm. That's a concern. Thank you, Representative uh, Steve Elison. He's a bill sponsor. Uh, We're going to continue this conversation. Uh, Dave Colley of the Cold Podcast, a producer, reporter, investigative reporter of the Cold Podcast, uh, very familiar with the the Sherry Black case. Uh, She was uh, found murdered uh, in her bookstore and her... Uh, on State Star in, in South Salt Lake, I think it was on State Street, Seventh Seventh East, or yeah, I think that was the location back in, in twenty ten, and they use DNA to track the killer. Uh, we're gonna have Dave Colley weigh in. Eye on the Hill, twenty twenty three special coverage with David Dejanovic. We're gonna find out more about this uh, Sherry Black bill that passed. Um. Now heading to the governor's desk for signature. We just spoke with a representative, one of the two sponsors on Capitol Hill, about what it would do. And my read of it is that if you are signing up for one of these DNA databases where you swab the inside of your mouth, kind of the DIY do-it-yourself swab, and you you send it off and then you wait for them to come back with a, like a match, or that you have to actually opt in uh, to have your profile available for law enforcement to search. What I'm, I'm a little unclear on is is how the Sherry Black case, she was murdered in November of 2010 in South Salt Lake, and it took many years, and it was through a DNA match uh, that they found the suspect, and he's since been sentenced to many years in prison. I'm unclear as to how her case, you know, factors in and yeah. in this in this piece of legislation. Sorry, yeah, I, that was long-winded, but that's what I was trying to get. I'm with you, Deb, because I, I remember, and Sherry Black, uh, her her family, or she was, um, it was one of those stories that just had, had gone cold. Right. It was completely and totally unsolved. No one, no one had any leads. It was extremely frustrating. Um, and this was Greg Miller uh, of... You know the the Miller family, Utah Jazz bees, everybody uh, is part of their family. So um, they they had resources, mm-hmm. they had uh, interest in private investigators. All of this at, at their fingertips, but this case just had no resolution. And then a decade later, because of DNA, right, this was solved. This was a, a, an enormous relief for that family. Dave Colley, the host of the Cold Podcast, investigative reporter here at Broadcast House for KSL Podcasts. All right, so so back us up to the the Sherry Black case. I, I covered that. I know you covered that. 
uh, I covered when law enforcement had no leads. I, I went on KSL 5 TV and I basically begged listeners or viewers to, to call in tips because the case had gone cold for five years. And they eventually solved it through DNA. But I don't, was it through one of these like databases that, that we anybody can, can use, Dave? I don't think it was, was it? Actually, it was. So the situation with the Sherry Black case uh, was there was physical evidence when Sherry was murdered in her bookstore in South Salt Lake that was collected as part of that initial investigation. It had suspect DNA on it. uh, But when the investigators tried to run that against a known database, so, you know, if you're convicted of a crime and they take your DNA, it's put into a database, they didn't get any matches. So they had a profile for a suspect, but it didn't connect to an individual. So what they did is this cold case detective for Unified Police uh, went out and he ran uh, a genetic genealogy uh, search on this profile and developed kind of a family tree. And that is what eventually led them to identify their suspect. And then from there, they had to go the extra step of uh, surreptitiously tailing him in public, waiting until he discarded, I think it was like a drink cup that they could test uh, and try to match his specific DNA to make that arrest. Okay, that's where I was um, conflating the DNAs, uh, the samples, because I was remembering that that police had to ta- basically, like you said, fo- follow him <laughs> to get yes. to get a sample yeah. of his DNA so they could test it and match it. But it was the DNA program that pointed them in the right direction. That's exactly right. And if you look at this bill that they uh, have just passed up at the legislature, it actually talks about that specific situation. They can't just uh, have a criminal investigator use a genetic genealogy link to charge somebody. It's a step in the process, but it by itself can't be used as grounds to make the arrest. They have to do that extra step of really making sure that the DNA matches to a specific suspect. How do police feel about this? Does this hamper some of their investigative tools and efforts? You know, Dave, I heard you having that conversation with Representative uh, Steve Ellison about, you know, not wanting to limit investigators. And I think what this bill does is it, it tries to strike a balance because the databases, these companies, they, uh, when this all started coming available uh, within the last 10 years, broadly, they started getting freaked out because their users were not wanting to sign up and use their program, fearing that they would be part of some dragnet. And so, uh, as you heard, you know, Ancestry.com, some of these others, they flat out prohibit police access. Uh, This bill tries to establish a a set of, uh, I heard you say guardrails, and that's basically what it is. It's it's the best uh, practices and procedures for police so that these companies will feel comfortable. I think in the absence of legislation like this, the risk would be that this tool will be completely off limits. Uh, it doesn't give police willy-nilly carte blanche to just do whatever they want with these databases. They do have to follow some rules, but uh, compared to the other situation, which would be no access, it does seem to be kind of that middle of the road. Well, my feel, This is my personal feeling. I haven't done one of these databases. I've certainly done... A- quite a bit of genealogy the old-fashioned way with like microfish um but if i don't really have anything to hide so if my 
you know, first cousin seven times removed is in trouble with the law, you know what? Well, it's just too bad. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to submit, I'm probably, I would probably opt in because I, I feel like, you know, I live a good life and I have nothing to hide. And I, I would imagine that would be the majority of people who use these databases, but maybe I'm wrong, Dave. Well, and there are two other scenarios uh, that play into this that I think people should consider, Deb, and that is unidentified remains. So if police find uh, a human remains somewhere and they collect that DNA and it doesn't connect to a database, they want to be able to use this kind of tool to identify who this person is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's one of the uses of this technology. Uh, the other one is this bill specifically uh, points out when it can be used for um, a claim of innocence. So if somebody is in prison, they've been convicted and they say, hey, I think this genetic genealogy can actually prove that I didn't commit this crime, uh, they want to be able to have the right to use it as well. And the bill uh, allows for that. So, um, you know, for users, I think the the appeal for, you know, Sherry Black's family, they obviously advocated for this bill on the Hill. They want people to opt in. And it's simply that they they just want people to understand that uh, this is a, a helpful tool, both for criminal investigation, identifying, you know, John Doe, Jane Doe situations and even proving innocence uh, for wrongfully incarcerated people. Dave Colley, thank you for joining us, host of the Cold Podcast, investigative reporter here at KSL. Yeah, great conversation. Thanks for clearing up um, just some, you know, spots there that I'd forgotten about along along the way. Um, very, very helpful information, Dave, as always. Straight ahead, you know, I I suffer snow anxiety. I look out the window this morning, it was 2 a.m., and I realized I was going to have to pull out the snowshoes or, you know, <laughs> ski in this morning, and I could not go back to sleep. So that's why I'm in the mood. Uh, I'm in the <laughs> mood I'm in this morning. Dave, Dave knows full well. You just thought it was because I hadn't eaten anything. No, no. It's it's that and also I'm just feeling we need a good we need a good few days of spring because I'm feeling a little dragged down um by maybe it's seasonal depression. Um but I'm feeling dragged down by all the cloudy days, all the snowy days, all the oh I guess I'll cancel my outdoor run and my outdoor walk days. So we're going to get Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Brewing Utah weather. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Let's talk about two things with Huntsman Mental Health Institute. One is uh, something I feel like I'm learning more about every passing snowstorm, snow anxiety. I think I have it because I look out the window and I realize I got to drive in this stuff again. You don't get excited? Like, why I get I get so excited every snowstorm. Why you don't really ski that much? I'm not. A, I used to be though. I oh, used to be okay. a huge skier. I just I love the snow. I love the way it looks. It's beautiful. Yeah. It, it's a little bit of an inconvenience driving around in it, but I I dig it. Hit me in December and January. I'm still pretty pumped up yeah. for the snow. But now you're done. I'm done. Super done. 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 Um, and then also. Uh, I feel like, like look outside this weekend. I had big plans to go on a run yesterday, and then the the snow. I mean, it was just everywhere. So let's bring in um, Jason, Doctor Jason Hunsinger. He's the with the Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Good morning, Doctor. Hello, hello. How are you? 
Oh, I will say I'm lovely today. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so let's, let's start with snow anxiety. Um, I was actually talking to a family member about this, and she said to me, she said about driving in the snow, and she said, that's how you start every morning? <laughs> I said, yeah, and you're right. Yeah. It does bring on a lot of anxiety. So how can we, how can we beat the anxiety? Yeah, now this is this year has been really bad for this, right? I mean, I think we're getting ten years worth of snow in in one year, um, and so trying to just be prepared for that every day. I know I I do the same thing, go to bed, and you know I wake up like three in the morning to look outside, see if I need to dig my way out yeah. yet. So. I think being informed, that is the super important thing. Oh. I think we, you know, we, we have to have, we see so much on the internet now, finding that trusted source, go to them, be informed and know what, what you're facing so you can be prepared for the next day, making sure you have the stuff you need in your, in your house. You know, if you're a snowblower kind of person and you need some gas, make sure you have that. That helps relieve the anxiety about being prepared to do what you have to do the next day. Um, and then talking to people about it. I mean, share with your family, your neighbors, everybody. We're all kind of in the same boat with uh, with the snow, and we all get really anxious about how much we're going to get and and when it's coming. But if we share that, it's it does ease that that tension a little bit. And then just being realistic, right? I mean, we have no control over this. Nobody does. And we just kind of go with it and and know it's going to happen. And as long as we're prepared to face it. Let's just get out and do it. So seasonal depression, th- this is pretty new to me. I hadn't heard of this concept. This isn't just a figment. This isn't something someone just made up in their, their mind. Like, you know what? Every time the winter hits, I, I get depressed. It, is seasonal depression yeah. a real thing then? It is. No, it is a real thing. It is a type of depression that comes back to bite you almost every season. And that's where it comes from is, is you know that's why we get call it seasonal depression because it starts the same time every year. Unfortunately, it normally ends around February for most people. But with this prolonged winter, uh, I think people are going to be feeling this a little bit longer. That's how where I'm at, and I was really disappointed. Again, attached to the outcome as I get that I was going to get to go on a run on Sunday, and I wake yep. up and the the. It was icy and slick, and I think it was 28 degrees, and the plows hadn't been out yet. And so I became disappointed, and I thought, well, way to go, Mother Nature. Thank you so much for blowing another lovely weekend. So give us a few tips. I love your tips on snow anxiety. A few tips to just hold on until spring gets here and the sun comes out again. Yeah, Debbie, that's a great tip that you just gave. I mean, I think getting moving is the hardest thing in the wintertime and planning these events when we can get out. Like yesterday afternoon, it got really sunny there for a while. And that was the time to get outside and let that sun hit your face. And even though it was still cold, it felt different with that sun beaming beaming down on you. And and so I think getting outside, getting that run in, getting a walk in, um, that will really be helpful. Trying to stay on your schedule, even though snow tends to disrupt everything. Um, you know, going to bed on time, getting up at the same time, eating well. I think we talked about this before, yeah. you know, making sure we're all eating well um, so that we can have the, all of that stuff that we need to keep us going during uh, during the winter. 
And then I like to plan stuff. So I look at these cool vacations in Hawaii or Mexico or and see the sun and see people out there having fun and thinking about it. And even if I'm not going anywhere, just the joy of considering the opportunities in the future helps you kind of get through some of this dull gray uh, time. Dr. Jason Hunsaker with Huntsman Mental Health Institute joining us right now. Uh, forgive a little bit of my ignorance here, but if seasonal depression hits, you know, for a couple months, you know, maybe November, December, January, somewhere around there, is there medication for kind of that short period of time if if I need it? Or is that more of a long-term solution? Definitely medication if if it gets to that point. Okay, so I think if if you are incapacitated with your your symptoms, where you're you're struggling to get out of bed, um, your arms and legs are always feeling heavy, you're sleeping way too much, you're just you're just not yourself. You need to talk to your doctor. There's definitely some medicine. And if this happens every year, you can predict it. So you start the medicine early, so you never even get into this phase. Um, but you can also engage in therapy for this too. A lot of people find great success, um, just getting more active with their therapist during this time to come up with strategies to help deal with, uh, the dip in their mood that comes from this, but it is a real thing. And that's so important for people to know that people do get to a point they can become suicidal with this and that's an emergency. And so with that new number, 988 needs to be called and, and they can get help right away. Doctor, I think if we had a few sunny days in between these cloudy days that we've had, just one right after the other, I would be feeling a lot differently. But I love what you said earlier. We don't have control over this. And I, I think that's where I need to recognize that's that's a true statement. And I don't have control over it. And so many things in my life I do have control over, <laughs> like what we talk about on that's the radio, right. How often yep. I contact my kids, you know, what what vacation I'm planning. I have control over that. I don't have control over the snowstorms. That's, and that's right. what's gotten a little bit frustrating. I think what's gotten me down uh, you know, right. more frequently than I'm used to. That's right. And I think those are great things to do is, is just focus on the things you can control. You can control how you respond to the snowstorm. You can control... Uh, if you're going to leave your house or not that day and and what you're going to eat and, and what you're going to talk about on the radio. Those are the things you can control. So let's maximize all of that. Let's do the stuff that makes you feel good about who you are. And then we can go deal with what we have to deal with to get through the rest of our day. Dr. Jason Hunsaker, thank you for joining us from Huntsman Mental Health Institute. I take it you don't have to deal with seasonal depression. No, I I, I'm kind of invigorated by it. I yeah. listen. Who doesn't want to go out and enjoy uh, a sunny day on a paddleboard? Me, a paddleboard. <laughs> yeah. I've actually played pickleball yeah. outside on some of these warm days and sunny days, and I've loved that. But when I woke up this morning and I saw the the snow on the ground after it had all melted on Sunday, I was excited. I'm like, oh, sweet, we had another snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Did you do you ski anymore? Uh huh. Yeah, probably a couple times. Does that a year. help? I've I've stopped skiing. I actually stopped skiing. Um, I skied like one or two times last season. Um, you know, just for just for fun. I wasn't competing in any. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, those days. Were I wasn't over. like long didn't leave, like I ever did. Uh, and I wondered if that would help. Yeah. No, I think I think it actually does. It, 
Uh, I'll go sledding, you know, with my kids. Well, you kind of participate in it. You have a good memory of it. If all of you, if all you think of when it comes to snow is icy roads and terrible commute, it's totally me. Then you're just building up negative attitudes every time it snows. It's become me. Um, And then also, like you know, indoor sports, those activities. you know, looking for those get outlets. Moving. Yeah, get moving. Speaking of get moving, Maria Chaleos, <laughs> she's got that get moving podcast, moving with Maria, right? <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we love those podcasts. On the line in about three minutes to walk us through some tips to drag ourselves out of the, the depths of seasonal depression and, and snow anxiety. And on this as well, all night long ahead. Then the commute, if you do that, next. California, what it's for. Next, how things are looking up there right now. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.